Are you familiar with the term a bridge too far? As in, I'm willing to go with you this far, but, but at this point, I'm, I'm not going to go one step further beyond that. There comes a point when it's just a bridge too far. I'll offer you one example from church life. I had the joy of being taught by a, a Canadian bishop uh, this spring at our clergy retreat. Um, a very wise man, an amazing man. And I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to sit at the feet of, not literally, but like to be taught by, by someone who's just really wise and, and godly and, and has an amazing experience, a testimony of God's power. Um, this man for, for decades lived on the Lord's provision. He shared stories of of, of, of not, not knowing, knowing what, where, where dinner was going to come, come from, doing ministry around, around the world um, in places, places without a lot of uh, resources, resources. And, and a knock would be at the door, door and, and someone, someone had, had food, food for him. him. Just, Just amazing, amazing stuff. stuff. Uh, and uh, this, this man, man um, after, after ministering around, around the world, world um, came, came to settle in Canada, Canada which I believe is his home country, and pastored a very large church. And... He essentially, through the power of the Holy Spirit and also through his reading, kind of read himself into Anglicanism, if that makes any sense. Through the Spirit kind of calling him, but also he's reading books and it's like, I think I'm Anglican. Um, and so there became a process of like, how do we make this church that has existed on its own apart from, uh, as a non-denominational church, how do we become Anglican? And so they sought out... Um, to do, to do this, this, this work, work of, of, of making the transition. transition. They explained they it. it. They're like, this, like, this is what we're going to do. do. This is what it's, it's going to look like. like. Everyone's on board. They're like, yeah, yeah. amen. We're, we're, like, we're, we're following you. We're following, following you. And one, one morning, morning uh, the staff, the clergy, clergy showed up with collars, with black shirts and collars. And they lost 600 people that Sunday. For certain people, that was a bridge too far. They're like, we're willing to go with you. Like, Everything you explained was great, but seeing you up there with the black shirt and the white collar was just a bridge too far. Um, today's gospel reading, we see Jesus um, trying his best to shrink the church. Heard of the, you may have heard of the church growth movement. Um, Jesus heads the first church shrinking movement. Um, if you read this, uh, if you're familiar with John 6, uh, he has these very hard teachings, very hard teaching. And uh, the people are like, uh, we don't know about this. And he's like, oh, really? And he doubles down. And then he like, gives another hard teaching. And they're like, see ya. <laughs> I'll get to that in, in a moment. Um, to reverse, uh, this, today's gospel is a reverse church movement, where a church growth movement where uh, Jesus is like, we're actually whittling you out here. It's a long reading. There's no really good way to chop it. I know that that, that was a very long reading. I chopped it as best as I could, but I'm going to give you a little bit of context um, as, as we jump in. So what happened at the beginning of John 6? I'm sorry, this is on page 11 in your bulletin. So how does John 6 begin? So Jesus, at the beginning of John 6, fed the 5,000. And it says that he perceived, perceived that they were going to make him king by force. That they were going to find a way to be like, all right, Jesus, thank you for this food. We're, you are our king now. And so he perceived this, and he um, passed through their midst and escaped. And essentially, he was trying to get away from the crowds. And um, then he walks in the water, and then the next day, the crowd realizes that he's crossed the, the lake, uh, the Sea of Galilee, and, and they, um, they cross as well, and they find him. They track him down. 
And so when they found him, they say, when did you come here? And Jesus responds saying, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs, which is to say, I'm out here performing miracles, feeding of the 5,000, taking loaves and fish, a very small amount, and feeding 5,000 people with it. And you're seeking me not because I'm doing... Um, uh, I'm not doing random miracles. If you had read your Old Testament, you would know that these aren't random miracles, that these are signs showing that the, the one who was, who was uh, prophesied about in the Old Testament, I am he. That's what Jesus is saying. He's like, you're not looking for me because you saw the signs. You're looking for me because you got a meal. That's why you, like, you guys don't get it. And so he takes this. He says, you have... Don't you, Don't you realize, realize what you, you have here? here? You have you access, access to the Father through me, and, and you're, you're just looking, looking coming around, looking for a value meal. Um, um, and so he launches into a teaching. He says, do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Jesus uses this as an opportunity to teach about the bread of life. Now, if you've read John before, you know that there are several I am statements, and there's significance to that on Jesus teaching um, and connecting himself to the Father who told Moses, when Moses said, who do I tell them? Like, when I, who sent me? And God said, Moses is like, what's your name? Moses is like, I am. Or God is like, I am. And so we have these series of I am statements. I am the good shepherd. I am the vine. You are the branches. I am the resurrection and life. But here we have the teaching, I am the bread of life. He says he is the true bread from heaven. And skipping down to verse 31, the crowd points out to him that God, actually, they're like, what sign do you give? Moses gave people bread, and that was like a sign that, that he was um, someone special. And they were in the wilderness after they had been uh, rescued from, from slavery in Egypt. God sustained them. Or they don't attribute it to God, do they? They say it's Moses. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. It wasn't Moses that gave them the bread, but it's God the Father who gave them the true bread from heaven. And here's where Jesus says something that makes everyone stop and lean forward just a little bit. Verse 33, Jesus says, For the bread of God is... He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And the crowd is like, yeah, that sounds good. Give us some of that. We want that. Um, I guess literally they say, they say, sir, give us this bread always. If you have access to this, we want some of that. Verse 35. Are you ready for what's coming? Are you ready for what Jesus has to say here? Verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. And remember, these are people who live kind of these meal-to-meal -meal, uh, kind of existences, who maybe not, don't know where their next meal is. So, like, of course they're going to follow a miracle worker who's, who's providing food. Of course they're going to follow him. And Jesus is like, that's not the food that you want. Because, because you get, you get hungry, hungry again in like, like four hours. hours. You, get you get thirsty again. And I have food that I can give you that's spiritual, spiritual food. food. Uh, uh, after, after which you, you never hunger again. again. And so Jesus, Jesus even repeats and he expands, expands his teaching. teaching. He, he, he gives the example of their ancestors. ancestors. So he's like, so he's okay, like, okay, you, you brought, brought up our people 
who were saved from, from, from slavery in Egypt, that they passed through the Red Sea and they were in the wilderness. So they were saved, right? They were saved from the Egyptians, but then they're like, there's food in Egypt. You brought us to the wilderness to die? Like, what, How are we supposed to live out here? And um, they were given bread from heaven. God gave them, God fed them every day. God made sure that they were provided for. And Jesus says, he says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. In other words, yeah, they ate day one, day two, day three, year 39, year 40. They're eating bread um, from heaven. But eventually they died. He says, I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And if, and if it wasn't, wasn't clear, clear, he says it once more for those in the back. And the, and the bread, bread that, that I, I give for the life of the world is my flesh. flesh. Although our, our reading, reading ends at, at verse 59, what happens, happens next in chapter, chapter 6 is that many of those who followed him said, this is a hard saying. Who can, Who can listen, listen to, to it? it? And it, it says, says that they, they turned away and they no longer followed him. The great, great anti-church anti growth movement, movement, the church, church shrinking movement, movement where Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, do you want to leave too? Do you ever, look, look around. Everybody else is leaving. These 5,000 people who were fed miraculously they turned, they turned around and they, and they walked, walked away. away. Jesus said, do you guys want to leave too? He turns to, to Simon, Peter, and to James, and to John. He's like, do you guys want to leave? Everyone else is leaving. The bandwagon has left. People are leaping off the bandwagon. Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answers as we ought to today. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? If Jesus, Jesus is like, guess, guess what? what? Your, your discipleship, discipleship is to hop on your left foot for the rest of your life. Simon, Simon Peter would have been like, all right. We're going to go, gonna go with, with you to the end because, because we've seen, we've, we've heard your words, we've seen your actions, actions and we, we know, know that, that you are the Lord of life. life. You, you are the, the Son of God. God. The Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus not only performs miracles that provide lunch, but Jesus is Life. Jesus, Jesus isn't, isn't just a, a, a petty conjurer who can make food out of nothing, nothing. but in but fact, fact, Jesus is life. We're in the, We're in the third, third week of our sermon, sermon series on our values, values as a diocese. And on page two of our bulletin, we have um, listed our values as a church. Those are distinct values that set us apart in our diocese, and like they kind of are who we are, what we are witness to the world. Those are our values as a church. But we also have, we're part of this broader movement of churches that is seeking to plant a revival of word and sacrament infused by the Holy Spirit. That we believe strongly in the proclamation of the word, in the reading of the word, in the proclamation of the word um, in, uh, in, in our services. Um, in Sioux Falls, we have churches that are dedicated to the proclamation of the word. 
in Sioux Falls, we have churches that are um, dedicated to the proclamation of, of not the proclamation, I'm sorry, are uh, dedicated to sacramentalism, that, that um, have a high view of what it means to come forward for Holy Communion. And we have churches that are uh, consider themselves charismatic, um, and we consider ourselves all three, that we consider ourselves um, a, a, a church that is fully scriptural, that is fully sacramental, and is also full of the Holy Spirit. So I don't, so I don't want to repeat, repeat everything, everything that I said last week when I talked about baptism, baptism. But, but the, the idea, idea of being fully sacramental is part of our, 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 uh, our idea, our notion, our affirmation that matter matters, that God created the world and everything in it, and he called it good. And not only that, but he entered into the world, that God called it good by being incarnated that God sent his son to live as a human being, to live and be born as a little baby. And God came into that physical reality. And our hope is not that someday we get to die and our soul gets to fly away to heaven. But our hope in Christ is that our, our bodies will be resurrected and we'll have a bodily existence. Or as I said last week, our hope isn't that someday our soul gets to be with God, but someday we get to sit down and have a beer with Jesus. We'll have a physical existence with Jesus. A bodily, a bodily existence. existence. So this so week we're talking about our second sacrament. Last week we talked about baptism, how that we pass through the waters of baptism and are united with Christ. And this week I'm preaching on how God feeds us through the sacrament of Holy Communion. The Holy Communion isn't just a meal of remembrance where we remember the Last Supper and where we remember Jesus' sacrifice for us. We believe that Jesus is present in Holy Communion. That Jesus, that Jesus feeds us spiritually in Holy Communion. That we, we receive, receive physical, physical nourishment in all sorts of ways through delicious subs and pizzas and tacos and steaks and salads, but we are in dire need of spiritual nourishment. We come here fed hopefully well, um, that each of us have the means to, to eat well and fill our stomach, but we are in dire need of spiritual nourishment. That's something that only Jesus can give us. And the good news is that Jesus hasn't left us on our own. He's not like, man, best of luck with this day-to-day thing. But know that Jesus has a plan for your spiritual nourishment. Last week I told you that if you were a baptized person, then my wish for you after hearing that sermon is that you would relish your baptism, that you would remember it and know who you are, that you have been united with Christ and you can have security and assurance in that. You are a, a new creation in your baptism. And if you aren't a baptized person, I said, my hope for you is for you to beg me to baptize you, for you to be like, how, how, what prevents me from being baptized? That's my hope. Um, that's the, the question that the Ethiopian eunuch said to Philip. He said, what prevents me from being baptized? Please baptize me. So my goal today is that, that we would have to prevent, prevent you, hold you back from like running up during, during Holy Communion. Communion. You're just, You're just so, excited so excited to receive this wonderful, wonderful thing that Jesus has for you today. today. That's my hope. I preached, I preached a sermon a few years ago, and, and someone who heard it was like, I'd be restrained from coming forward. I just wanted to run up the aisle and have communion. So that's my hope for you today. I want you to get excited to receive this gift of Holy Communion. Sometimes, Sometimes we, we, we can be, be uh, sleepwalkers, right? right? We, we kind of sleepwalk, sleepwalk through life, through life and, and even on Sunday, Sunday mornings, mornings, we sleepwalk and we kind 
come forward and we do as we always do and we forget how significant of a gift this is that the Lord has for us. And some of these sleepwalkers, people who don't even expect it, the beauty is that Christ is present. It's not what we bring to the table, but it's what Jesus has for us at the table. And I've heard so many beautiful testimonies of people being surprised as they receive Holy Communion. I've heard of people yelping when they, when they, decide, decide, when they, they realize, realize how, how good, good it is. is. Can you believe this? Like, like people, people, when they, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good, good. that they, they tasted it and they experienced it. And I don't mean like the, the, the bread and wine tasted good. They experienced Jesus, Jesus in a very special way. way. Does this does sound, sound weird, weird to you? I kind of hope it does. I hope this kind of challenges you. I had a friend say to me a few months ago, he was like, aren't you Anglicans? Don't you believe that and I don't remember, I don't remember what, what word used, but basically it was like, don't you believe that communion is efficacious? Like that it's, and I was a little, I was a little surprised and a little shocked because he went to a Lutheran church and I was in like, I was like, so do you. In fact, like they actually have to agree before they come forward for communion. They have to agree that Christ is bodily present in the blood or in the bread and the wine. They have to agree to that. Um, so, so I, I, don't I, I don't mean to make this an academic, academic discussion, discussion but, but, but just, just to, to offer a brief taxonomy of the different, different views on what Holy Communion is. Um, up, up until, until say, the year 15, up, up until the 16th, 16th century, century everybody, everybody believed, believed, all Christians, Christians believed that Christ was present in the sacrament. And it was only, um, uh, so, so both the Romans the Anglicans, the Lutherans, the Reformed all believed that Christ was present in the sacrament. And in the 16th century, a group called the Anabaptists um, came out and they said, no, this is a, this is a remembrance. And then um, a few centuries, uh, decades later, um, the Baptists uh, came around and, and said, that, no, this, this is a, a memorial. Um, but this is a, a newer teaching in church history. Um, so, so while the Romans, Romans Anglicans, Anglicans, Lutherans, and Reformed disagreed, disagreed about the way that Jesus is present, of course, we've heard of the term transubstantiation, that's what Catholics believe, is that there is a change of substance. And they would argue that if you were to take the, the bread and the wine and, and inspect it, that in fact it would be actual body and blood. And although though they don't like the word re-sacrifice, they believe that the priest is essentially re-sacrificing every Sunday. The Lutherans... Um, they believe that there is a change, not in the substance, but in, uh, they believe that it is the body and blood of Jesus Christ, but that the accident, that you look at it and perceive it, and it actually is bread and wine, and it is also Jesus' body and blood. The reform, this other branch, they believe that Jesus Christ is spiritually present. They're like, they say Jesus can't be present at the table because Jesus is present only in heaven in one place, that he's confined to a physical body, and he is in heaven. And as, and as Anglicans, Anglican, where, does where does that leave us? We, we believe, believe that partaking in the bread and the wine is partaking in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, we believe it is in a spiritual way. So we don't actually, aren't interested in um, the categories that the, 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 the Catholics talk about. Um, we believe that they that there's, there's a mystery, a mystery there, there that we don't we necessarily understand how Christ, Christ is present. But Christ, Christ there's, there's a real and true presence of Jesus Christ there that we, we receive. And that's, and that's something, something really special, special that Jesus gives himself to us. us. And we believe we that believe because that Jesus, Jesus said it. Jesus said, it. Jesus said the, 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 the food, food is my, is my flesh. flesh. 
And so while we don't believe it is, it is like fleshly Jesus Christ's body, but that, that he is present um, spiritually for us in a real way. It's a real presence of Jesus Christ. Would you turn to page 9 in your bulletins? where we have a reading from 1 Corinthians. This is a reading, that first paragraph is what we call the words of institution. Um, and, and almost all traditions use these words during Holy Communion. And you, I will use them shortly. But it's the second half of this passage that I want to talk about. Verse 27 says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. And it goes on to say that some people, because they were doing this, some were getting sick, and it says that some people were dying. Those are some serious warnings. I had a teacher uh, in seminary who told us about his aunt, who was part of a, a Christian tradition that had Holy Communion once a year. And he talked about his aunt, he said, she never felt worthy. That she never took communion. So it was offered only once a year, and she's like, that Sunday would come around, whenever it was, she's like, I, I can't. I, there are these warnings, I'm not worthy to come forward for Holy Communion. Well, the reality is no one is worthy to receive Holy Communion. Those of you who have worshipped with us for a while, you notice there's a prayer as part of our liturgy. Well, there, we confess our sins, first of all. That's, the confession comes before Holy Communion so that we can come um, absolved of our sin. Um, but we also pray this, this prayer of humble access. We do not come to this, your table, trusting in our own righteousness. But in your mercy, Lord. We, we, we don't, don't come, come with our own righteousness. We trust, we, trust, we come, come only because of your mercy. That's, a, that's the prayer we pray. And when, and when we, we affirm, we are not worthy actually to gather the crumbs under your table. But yet you are a Lord whose property it is to always show mercy. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. There, um, so in the continuum of churches, there are some that have such dire warnings, and there should be warnings. People should not come to the table without making peace with one another. And that's a beauty of being a church that has uh, Holy Communion every Sunday, that we are a church of people who reconcile, a church of people who make peace with one another, because we do not come to the table if we are in open conflict with somebody. We want to be peacemakers. We want to be people who are reconciled to God and to others before we come forward. So we have a chance to confess our sins. So we don't want to make light of these warnings. But we're on the kind of other side of that continuum where we believe the Holy Communion is the gifts of God for the people of God. And so I say that. The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance of Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. We do this weekly because we believe that communion is food for the journey. Just, Just as, as the Lord's people were saved as they passed through the waters of the Red Sea. They were saved, but they needed food for the journey. They needed manna from heaven to feed them so they could make their way to the promised land. And we believe that although we are uh, in our baptism, we are called uh, new creations, that we are called children of God and we're welcomed into God's kingdom. We need food for the journey. 
And so we are fed each week with God's spiritual food. God feeds us through the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And we need that food as we travel through the wilderness of our lives. Since our son Isaac was diagnosed with a neuromuscular disease a few years ago, our family has taken an interest in special needs families. Um, things we'd never thought of, like accessibility for churches, uh, about how church services, like, are we really welcoming to people with special needs? Are we really welcoming for people with developmental disorders? Are we really welcome? Uh, are we a place that welcomes um, uh, maybe, maybe children, children who are disruptive because they have behavioral, behavioral disorders. disorders. Do we, we accommodate, accommodate families in those, way, in those ways? ways? Like, we've, we've read about this, and there, there, there are blogs about this, about um, what, what they call the foyer, foyer church, because their families that spend all their time in church and foyer because they don't feel welcome um, worshiping with others because they're kind of at the, at the back because they're disruptive. So Meg, in particular, has read blogs and listened to podcasts. If you know anything, you know anything about, about her work, work recently, recently uh, her hospital was hit by, that she works at was hit by a tornado, and so... She is, she is a, a bit, bit longer of a commute as she drives, drives, drove to Yankton, Yankton three times this week, and so she's been listening to um, hours and hours of podcasts of ministries um, focused on pe people with disabilities, people who um, have different abilities, and um, the kind of the thing in common she noticed in these stories of families, when, you have, when you're pregnant, when you, when, you, when you have a child, your hope is for, for, for health and wellness for that child, and then different things happen in these families. And something, and something that every, every family, family has, has to deal with. with. Where does where this fit in God's goodness, in God's care for us? Where does this disability, this new, these accommodations, my child in a wheelchair, my child who has multiple surgeries, where does this fit in the goodness of God? Where do God's promises fit as we encounter hardship? And each family has to eventually trust in the goodness of God in the midst of difficulties in their journey, in the midst of a life that wasn't what they hoped for, for their children. Like I said, the Psalms say, taste and see that the Lord is good. And these people dealing with tremendous hardships struggled at times to see evidence at the goodness of God. Where is the goodness of God? We want to taste and see that the Lord is good. Friends, do you, Do you know, know where, where there is evidence, evidence that the Lord is good? Do you know where there is evidence that the Lord is good? Do you know where we can see and experience and taste the tangible promise that God is good? We experience this in the body and the blood. Paul wrote, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We may, we may hear, hear the, the good, good news in the proclamation of the gospel. Of the gospel. But in but Holy, Holy Communion, communion we, experience we experience the promise of God. God. We experience the promise that everything is okay because Jesus has paid the price for our sins. That Jesus has provided the sacrifice for our sins and that nothing can ever, ever, ever separate us from the love of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, Father, we thank, we thank you for your goodness. For your goodness. And not, not only, only that, that we, we get to hear of your mighty acts, but that we, we get, get to weekly experience intimacy with you, Lord. We get, we get to experience, experience your goodness. 
Lord, feed us. Lord, give us this food. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a recording for the Church of the Resurrection. We are an Anglican church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Our worship includes the proclamation of God's word, the regular celebration of the Holy Communion, and an expectation that the Holy Spirit is active in the church and our lives. Please join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Boys and Girls Club on 824 East 14th Street.